Amen. Well, it's good to have Pastor Marius Kichudi in here with us, and uh, glad to have him and his family, and they're in the States for a couple months, I think, right? A couple weeks. A couple weeks. And uh, so we always, it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to have him in, and so he's going he's gonna to talk about the ministry that he has over there in Europe, and uh, preach to us as well. So, Brother Marius, if you'd come on up here. Brother Josh, does he have the remote? Yeah, I have. Okay, perfect. And here's some water. Good evening, it's such a joy to be back, and I'm glad you get, I have the opportunity to be back here, and I'm thankful to Pastor Eric, uh, or Steve, sorry, I always mess up names. <laughs> I'm getting with people messing up my name, so I guess <laughs> it was funny because two weeks, uh, two Sundays ago, we were for our son's graduation in Tennessee, and about a month ago, they, each one of them received an email asking, were asked, how do you pronounce your name? And my son never answered to that email. And in the day uh, when graduation, at some point he was there and somebody pat him on the back. He was the dean of the university asking him, how do you pronounce your name? And he said, Chiku Dean, right? And he said, yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> so, this is how he was called when he ended the diploma. This is how he was called. So, but we are used with people messing up our name. We don't know what actually we, means. It's not a Romanian name. It's not Hungarian. About a year ago, somebody from Germany called me. It's a Hungarian living in Germany. And I said, I think I know where your name comes from. I said, give me your... <laughs> <laughs> your answer, because whatever I can receive about my name, I receive it. And he said, I think it comes from Hungarian, because in Hungarian it says, Kicodo. So that means actually, who is that? So probably some Hungarians who were living in Romania, when they saw my forefathers, Kicodo, they were asking, who's that? So <laughs> they, <laughs> I can go, well, who is that? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would like to share some words uh, from the Word of God with you, but before that, I want to encourage you by showing some of the things that uh, God is doing uh, in the world, especially in the eastern part of Europe and further on towards Asia. Sometimes we get discouraged. We look around us, and real, it's a spiritual fight. And when you deal with a spiritual fight, things are not always going well. You have to deal with stubborn people, with people rejecting you, people who are throwing up all sorts of things towards you. But that doesn't mean God is not at work. And this is what I want you to see tonight. God is at work throughout the world. And as long as the church is here on the, the earth, God will be working. God will be working here in Richmond. God will be working everywhere. It's just sometimes we, what we have to do is see where God is working and see where God wants us to be in his work. That's the most important thing for, for us to learn. So, in 2019, we were here in August. That was when we dropped our son into college now. <laughs> He's still not here. He's still in Atlanta. He has some other things to resolve there before he comes back home to Romania in June. But 2019... Then 2020 comes, and is the COVID. <laughs> so for at least for one year, we're still shut down in mission trips and stuff like that. But we live in Romania. And you know, all of you know that Romania was under communism. 
So that means that for 50 years we were in lockdown. That what makes us? That makes us professionals in avoiding the lockdown. <laughs> because for 50 years this is what we did. <laughs> so we learned how to avoid lockdown. <laughs> so, so when the COVID came, we found different ways to, to go around. <laughs> so uh, especially in Moldova. And actually we had uh, in March 2020, we were supposed to have our annual conference of mentoring ministry in Europe. So it's usually the month when we gather all our coworkers from Europe to have an annual meeting. And now we had it online. So we had our coworkers from Poland, from Germany, from these countries, all kind of depressed and were, and first thing they were surprised because we all those from Romania, from Brasov and Moldova were together. So it's like, we don't even go outside to visit our family in the city. How come you're together? And one of the pastors from Moldova came with this answer, said, you know, these laws are for those who are giving, not for us. <laughs> if they give the law, it's for them, it's not for us. <laughs> so, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be abiding citizens. It's just sometimes when it comes to ministry, you have to go <laughs> further and care for those who are in need. And so, but God, and even during COVID, we still had great outreaches in Moldova, and I would just go first year. Oh, I had to point that way. I think I supposed to be on. Yeah, uh, I will come back to to this later. Uh, during COVID, we had outreaches for young people, and we had always about 150, 200 young people for, for these outreaches. This was in north, the part of Moldova, not in the south. But, and uh, we still have the seminars in, in the south, but we moved uh, northward now in Moldova. And it, God has opening some door, excellent doors. And what happened is that last year we started the project in Moldova. It was a tryout last year, it was the first edition but in order to reach young people. And we came up with the idea of having a national evangelistic volleyball championship. It was a challenge because we threw out a challenge to the pastors in the village, remote villages. And I said, okay, each church should come up with a volleyball team, 10 young people. But the core should be three Christians and the rest non-Christians non-believers. And you have them, to call them for this championship, you start training, so you have the time to get to know them and get open, and then we will have them for one week for the championship. And actually we had uh, this championship, it's 150, because this is the size of the camp, can fit one camp, so one week 150, so that means 15 teams, and the second week 15 other teams. So 300 young people in two weeks. And it worked marvelous. And because it worked so well, we are gonna do the second edition this year. So in July, we are back in Moldova having the second edition of this. And just to show you, and again, encourage you, some pastors rejected the idea for various reasons. 
But for example, there is this village pastor and he heard the idea, he liked the idea, but he said, I don't have any young people in my church, but I really think this should, should do something. So what he did, he went to the high school in the next village, said, I want to take a team in a championship. Would you give me a team? And they gave him a team. So he brought, all his team was were unbelievers, and about half of them received Christ by the end of the week. So, because it was so good, and one of the things that we learned is that, actually, you know, you always, especially when you have young people, you always have to worry about what they're going to do with big numbers of non-believers, what they're doing good. But having a volleyball championship, they don't have time to, we do. they either train for the game or play the game. So by the end of the evening, they are tired. So, <laughs> so that resolves the deal. <laughs> so, but in the morning, we started the, with the message. In the evening, we had the Bible message again. So this went on for the whole week. And because we were in the northern part, and we had to separate them like in two, in the first uh, week, we had the teams from the northern Moldova coming in, playing, and they had the finalist. They w went home. Second week, the teams from the south came up, and they had the finalist. At the end of the second week, we had the big final between north and south. So those from the northern part were coming in with their friends, families, to play the final. So now we have another opportunity to preach the gospel. So that was, <laughs> so pray for July, the first two weeks of July, we are going to be there again for this. So pray that God will bring new young people. This is the encouragement this year. Don't bring the same team. Yeah. <laughs> we want new kids. We want new young people. And God would work there. Also, in the meantime, we are still having Bible seminars and conferences for the leaders in Moldova. And that's, uh, I will go fast. And I, even in the presentation, I just said multiple because I've been traveling back and forth in Moldova, in Ukraine, in all those countries, back and forth. So, uh, no, let's see. Yeah. Uh, also, even though the invasion started in Ukraine, we are still going in Ukraine and still having conferences and seminars for the pastors, especially because we've been going to the war line even before 2020. And in 2019, four months before, and this is in connection with the message tonight. The message tonight is entitled, How Far is the End of the World? Where is the end of the world? <laughs> and uh, because it's obviously it's not a geographical point. So actually, uh, when we were there in 2019, October 2019, my wife and I, uh, we went there for a conference, and at some point, the car got stuck. We flew into Kharkiv, but then we knew we have to drive to the war line. And when you're talking about war line, you're talking about streets that do not have potholes. They have streets that they were driving the tanks on, so that means the streets are not actually streets. <laughs> so we tried to rent an SUV, but they said, we don't have any, so we'll give you a four focus. So they gave us a little four focus. So this is what we had. But that thing was, by the time we got it back, 
it was rattling all over. So, <laughs> so sorry for them, but <laughs> but this is what happens. Uh, but at that time, being on that road, we had an, one of these eureka moments. You know, the light comes on. So we know the definition of the end of the world. The end of the world is that point that you reach, and when you reach it, you know you reach the end of the world. <laughs> and we'll speak about this a little bit uh, later in the message. But th that point, but we're still going, because at that point also, we knew what was going to happen, and we told these pastors and their families, as soon as the invasion is hits, you pack, then come to Brasov. So we had uh, families that stayed with us, and in the beginning, we had over 150 refugees in our church. So it was amazing because we never thought that we'll have Bible projected in Romanian, Ukrainian, English, German, and whatever. But now this is what we project in the church. So, uh, but uh, lately, we moved them. Now, this family, we moved them back on the western part of uh, Ukraine. So they can be together, fathers and families, because men cannot leave the country. And they are still involved in ministry in different ways. Because the big trucks, the 16-wheelers, can go into Ukraine but cannot drive further because nobody assures, gives insurances for war. So what we do is send the big trailers into Ukraine just across the border, and then these pastors are using their vans to take the goods further on and spread it into Ukraine. So, but we have conferences with them. We still go there to encourage them, and that's one of the things we do. Uh, okay. Oh, it goes this way. Now, one of the uh, interesting things that happened after I visited you in 2019 is that God opened some doors in the Republic of Georgia. Uh, and when I went there, I thought we are going for Georgians. But it's not quite like that. And even I'm so sorry that I'm being, I've been going for the past four years into Georgia, but really we are not working with Georgians. But there is something great happening, though. In Tbilisi, in the capital city of Georgia, there are, and actually I just wrote there, in 2016, there were around 2,000 Indians studying medicines. Today, the number is up to 15,000 Indians studying, uh, being students at the medical school in Tbilisi. So that means, suddenly, you have a field for India. <laughs> and these students that are in India, in uh, Tbilisi, they arrive there two ways. Either they come from rich families who afforded to pay their education, or from very poor communities who didn't even have a doctor in their community. So they gathered money together to send one of their own to educate so they will have a doctor. Now, you reach one of these, either ones, rich or very poor, and you suddenly have a missionary back in India. And that's such a great opportunity. And it's, uh, they have their own campus. It's the Indian campus for the university, so they're all there. And 
a church was started and was, I think this was the second service when I was there and I preached in there in the Indian service. Last September, we had an outreach for the students, Indian students. There were around 400 students that came. We learned later that many more came, but couldn't fit in the room. There were no more seats in the room, so they left. So to, in September now, we are going to have another one. In March, we have another one, outreach for the Indians. Uh, but the good thing is that they told us that many of those who received Christ in that meeting are faithful attending the church now, after, after that meeting. So we praise God for that. And it was wonderful how God moved in that. And so keep that in mind to pray. Uh, by the way, speaking of this, it was first time when I, when I preached barefoot. Because they, they still keep their in, Indian culture in the church. So they all take their shoes off when they enter the church. And it was January. They had tile floor. My feet were frozen. <laughs> but, but if they can do it, I should be able to do it. So. <laughs> but it was so amazing because now, in, uh, a month ago when I was there, the leader of the student ministry there came to me and said, Marius, you have no idea what your input meant to us. I said, what do you mean? And she said, you want to know what you preached four years ago? And she gave me point by point what I, I didn't remember what I preached. <laughs> but she told me point by point what I preached. So that was so, such an encouragement. Where does it go? Yeah. Now, the second interesting part is that capital of Georgia holds almost 30,000 Iranian refugees. According to BBC News, in 2013, there were 6,000 Iranians, but now the number is a lot higher. Now, Iran, you know the situation in Iran, with all that's happening there. But one thing they don't have in Iran, they don't have gambling, casinos, alcohol, and prostitution. So everyone who wants to look for this has to look for this in the surrounding countries. So either they run because they are refugees, they run out of Iran, or they are running out of Iran to look for this. And one of the capitals where they are going is Tbilisi, Georgia. We never seen in our life so many casinos. We never been to San Francisco, but probably this is the San Francisco of that part of the world. So many casinos in, in that place because they have clients. Now, with refugees and with this kind of uh, flow of Iranians in uh, Georgia, and recently God opened another door in Armenia, and we went to Yerevan last year in Armenia. Uh, it's a great ministry opportunity. Last month when I was there, I was for two weeks. First Sunday I preached in the Iranian service. We had two people who were saved. Following Sunday, we had four baptized. I baptized four of them. And two of them went back to Iran. We need to pray for these people. Because what they did, and I never posted on social media or pictures with them because I would jeopardize their life. But what they did is such a, a powerful testimony. And we have conferences with them in Tbilisi, and we have translation in Farsi and Arabic. 
And usually when we have a conference like that in Tbilisi, we have 25, 30 underlying churches in Iran watching online. So that's, that's such a great, again, an opportunity we didn't expect. Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting because uh, we started with them, working with them, and it was the same with Indians. We never said anything, but we started, and we started discipleship with them. While we were doing discipleship with them, they were translating the material already in their language. So now it's available. We have the material available in Farsi and in one of the Indian languages for that area where they, are, they were from. So uh, that was an amazing thing that happened, and it's happening. Uh, the last country that really, again, was a surprise and just came is Mongolia. Now, Mongolia, uh, it's very interesting at this point. I would say it's the greatest opportunity for ministry preaching the gospel there now. It's just like Romania back in the 90s. There are big socio-economical changes, cultural changes in Mongolia, and it's a direct reason. Uh, Mongolians are nomadic. Actually, it's interesting because in the capi capital of Ulaanbaatar, the name, the, like the nickname, is the city of nomads. <laughs> so this is one under Ulaanbaatar is writing the city of nomads. So because they, it's by their culture, they live in these yurtas in the round tents, so they move around. But now the Chinese have discovered that the desert of Gobi has a lot of minerals they can use for the batteries, for the electric car batteries. So they don't want Mongolians roaming around in the desert. They want to mine the desert now. So <laughs> uh, they kind of made an agreement with the government. And they, the government decided to give each family a plot of land, a piece of land, for them to settle down so they don't move around. So according to the size of the family, they are receiving a piece of land. So it's very interesting now that you go in Ulaanbaatar and you have a skyscraper and a yurta, and skyscraper and a yurta. So <laughs> it's very interesting combination. So, but with all these changes, people are forced to accept new statue, new culture, to adapt, to re, reinvent their life, if you will. So when this is happening, usually it's a, it's a great open door for the gospel too. So we have been there, and we already rented the cultural palace in Ulaanbaatar. It sits about 1,000 uh, people. So for September, we'll go back and have an evangelistic crusade. We had a meeting. There are churches. There are Christians, but very few. Uh, uh, but there are very small churches, like house churches. So we met with a group of 10 uh, pastors of this leaders of these little churches and who agreed to join forces and come together and have this uh, crusade in uh, the beginning of October, not September, because September will be Georgia. Uh, so that's what's happening. And then God is using even the tragedies, the earthquake in Turkey. And you might have heard about it. And the interesting part is that the earthquake happened 
in the area where is the biggest number of Christians in Turkey. That's kind of, you may ask, why? <laughs> we don't know why, we can, don't have the answer. But one thing is for sure, is that uh, as Christian community, we all reacted. And we already sent teams, we already sent helps there. And now the Christians are doing what they can. And this is one of our coworkers who was sent there and doing the work. And they set up camps and to help. But many young Turks are coming in now and asking who are you and what they are doing this for us. So that it opens for the gospel. And just two weeks before I got here, I received a call and on the way to Mongolia, I had a eight hour layover in Istanbul and I met with one of the pastors in Istanbul and we already are making plans for some evangelistic events in Turkey and some seminars and conferences in Turkey for next year. So pray for that because God can turn even the tragedies into opportunities for sharing the gospel. So pray for that. Yeah. Uh, prayer requests. I have uh, a very special prayer request. For next year in March, Iranians are celebrating Nowruz. That means the new year for them on the 21st of March. In that time, that time frame, they have 10 days free. They, nobody works. So they all travel. And we want to have a conference for like discipleship conference in Tbilisi. Now, internet is a great tool, but it also can be a dangerous tool. And when you have these new believers that come abroad, hear the gospel, they get saved, they go back, they, need the, they feel the need to feed themselves. So they are looking online, searching online to find. You have, they have no wisdom. What is good, what is, everything that connects to Christianity, so that, oh, that Christianity, that's good. So uh, we believe, as you believe, we know discipleship is sharing life on life. But when you cannot do that, at least teach them the basic Bible doctrines. So I spoke with the Iranian pastor in Tbilisi, and we agreed that next year in March for Noruz, we should have a discipleship conference where we want to bring 30 to 40 new believers from Iran for three days and teach them the basic Bible doctrines so they know at least where they stand. So pray for that so we can reach the goals and everything that is need in motion to, for this to happen. Thank you. Now, and really appreciate your time. Now, for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> I want to share something from the Word of God with you. Where is the end of the world? And if you would open your Bible at, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, But he shall receive power. After that, holy, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So, where is the uttermost part of the earth? That's the question. 
And as I said to you, when we were in Ukraine in that spot, <laughs> we came up with that definition. Uh, but in that definition, uh, I found something that the end of the world is that point that when you reach it, you reach the limits of the distance where you go, can go. And these limits can be physical or spiritual or for various reasons. For us, the limit, it wasn't just the road. And actually, at one point, our navigation was lost. And I told my wife, we need to go back. Because see that trees, those trees, they are shooting there. We cannot go further. We have to take another way. And by the way, that four focus was red. <laughs> it was a moving duck. <laughs> so, so that was, <laughs> we didn't want to go further. But <laughs> so the, the uttermost part of the earth is not geographical point, but rather is a limit or the limits driven by the circumstances that can be physical or spiritual. Before we go any further, I want to point out something. Because the Bible says here, but he shall receive power. I want to point out what it does not say. It does not say you shall receive a power. Some people think that uh, for ministry, you need a special power. No. It says you shall receive power. What is the power? It's the Holy Spirit that comes in each and every one of us in the moment of salvation. And that means that each and every one of us is in the possession or has in its possession the power to do ministry. So that means that we have no excuse. None of us has an excuse when it comes to that. I don't have that special power. No. It might be a special calling to something special, but it's not about the power. Each of every one of us has the same power. Because it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost will come upon you. Now, I would like to point out three things that will determine the uttermost part. These things are applicable to our personal life as well as our congregational life, to our church. First thing that will determine the limits of our uttermost is faith that Christ is alive. And you might ask, what do you mean? We are all in this church. We all believe. What I found throughout the years is that people might agree with the doctrine of resurrection, but they do not believe in the resurrection. And I want to, I want to see the disciples. And when you think about the disciples, you're talking about people who, are, who spent time with Jesus, who knew everything, who agreed with all the doctrines, who followed Jesus. But... Jesus is alive, where do you find the disciples? Where do you find them? 
in that upper room, locked and in fear. And I look around me and I see churches and Christians, disciples, locked in their own buildings, never going outside. That's the first limit. And it's interesting. Some of the disciples, when they heard that Jesus was alive, went to check it out. To see if it's true, to see what's going on. But they came right back. You know, in Proverbs, I love the book of Proverbs. There is a verse that says, the lazy will always say there is a lion outside. <laughs> so it's like this disciple. We cannot go outside. There is lions outside. We are going to be eaten out. No, nothing will happen. Uh, but I want you to see the change. What happened in the disciples. Because after believing that Christ is alive, it was hard to hold them still. Now Jesus comes to them and says, hold on. Don't move until you receive the power. See the difference? Before they believed that Christ was alive, they were locked up and not willing to go anywhere. When they believed that Christ was alive, it was hard to hold them still. And Jesus says, wait a minute till you receive the power. And when you receive the power, then I will let you loose. And this is what happens. So, see the first limit of the uttermost part of the world for each of any of us is determined by the believing that Christ is alive. When I believe that Christ is alive, this is the starting point of experiencing God's power, the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the only real missions are happening only led by the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not everyone who travels abroad overseas is a missionary. Right, right. We've seen many who traveled overseas, but they were not missionaries. That might be an excursion, yeah? <laughs> a road trip, <laughs> if you will, whatever, but it's not. Someone may travel overseas, but that doesn't make him a missionary. Someone may not travel overseas, but witness in the power of the Holy Spirit, that person is involved in God's redemptive mission. Amen. Yeah. Second limit of the uttermost part of the world that determines the uttermost part of the world for me as a person or for as a congregation is that willingness to obey and get involved. God does not give us the same abilities or same calls. But whatever the call or the ability is, there must be willingness to obey. God gave me some special abilities. I do not get lost. I, and especially if I've been someplace once, I know where to, how to get there. I tell my, I don't know what I, I feel like when I have to guide myself, I, 
I feel the north right here. You, you think I'm crazy, but <laughs> I feel the north right here. <laughs> I do not get lost. And my friend John Woodward, he texts me before we come here the address, making sure that I know how to get here. And he came, so we make sure I'm here. <laughs> but he copy-paste the address, and the, the address was United States. I said, thank you, John. <laughs> he wanted to make sure that I do not fly on another continent. <laughs> so, United States, yeah, right. <laughs> but see, God gave me these abilities. And he wants me to use these abilities. Now, my wife is different. <laughs> she does not have disability. <laughs> and she knows it. <laughs> she gets lost even in our city, in our hometown. So <laughs> it's not. But that doesn't mean she cannot do ministry. <laughs> but whatever the abilities God gave us, we need to be... Uh, to let ourselves, God, use our abilities. Amen. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it's the verse everybody knows. Yeah, it's the Great Commission. And it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And when I read that, I said, wait a minute. Why did I say therefore? Therefore what? There must be a cause. Because he could have said, go in the whole world and preach the gospel, yeah? But he says, go ye, therefore. So I ask myself, therefore what? What is the reason why we have to go or when we have to go in the whole world? And I found the answer in verse 17. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. They be that means... They bowed before him. But some doubted. Interesting, right? See, in regards of Christ's lordship, there are only two categories of Christians. Those who obey and those who doubt everything that is being told to them. Those who obey and those who doubt. Recently, because I go monthly in Germany. Uh, so first Sunday of every month, I'm in Germany. And we started the church, the Romanian church in Germany. So I'm there. But I, was taught, I, I tried that every, during every visit in Germany, I spend the weekend with a different family in the church. So this way I get to know them, talk to them, and know we're there. I was with this family. They have young children, and I w we reached the topic of children education. So I told her what the Bible says about discipline and stuff like that, and she said, nah, it cannot be that. Uh, it must be some way around. I said, well, this is what the Bible says. Amen. You can be picky about it, but this is not a supermarket. <laughs> it's either you obey, or choose not to obey, but you have to be realizing that you're going to be supporting the consequences. And in five years, don't come back to me complaining about it. Because you didn't obey. So, but see, this is the attitude of Christians. 
when it comes to the lordship of Christ. Some worship, some bow, or they say, okay, I give up. Some doubt. Nah, maybe it's not that, quite that. And then it says, go ye, therefore. If you worship, if you recognize the lordship of Christ over your life, over everything you have, over everything you are, then you go. Amen. Therefore you go. See, the first limit is determined by your faith in the living Christ. The second limit is determined by recognizing the lordship of Christ over your life. And we go to the third limit. And I called it the resources. Now, when you usually when you say that the, the word resources, people are, tend to think about money, financial. But that's not all. When we came uh, to the States, we spent uh, six days up in New York because Laura's family Cousins are there, so we spend one week with them. And actually, we are driving their vehicle <laughs> to the States. And one day, we went into the city to visit. And we had the smart idea to walk from Times Square to Bro the Brooklyn Bridge. Now, that's a walk. <laughs> we didn't realize it at first, but that's a walk. <laughs> that's a long walk. And at some point, the girls were like, we cannot go anymore. Our feet are hurting. Let's just find the train station and just go back. <laughs> and we kept pressing. No, we made, uh, it's just a quarter of a mile. Let's just, uh, one more stretch. Let's just. We got to the Brooklyn Bridge. All we did is walked on the Brooklyn Bridge like a quarter of the bridge. Really, we couldn't go any further. So see, our resources were over. Even if we wanted to go further, we couldn't go further. And I was telling you about the, the example with, in Ukraine. Even if we wanted to go further, we couldn't go further. So there is a limit. There is always a limit. And sometimes, Let's some, make something very clear from the beginning. The resources should never determine our call or the willingness to go. But the resources are rather a way God could show us if it's his will for us to go someplace or to go somewhere. Amen. In Matthew 28, verse 20 now, again, the Great Commission we have Jesus' promise that he will be with us always, even to the end of the earth. I want to point out something. The accent here, at least for me, is not on the distance, but rather on time. I will be with you always, Amen. even if you are at the end of the world. So the accent is on time rather than distance. Even if you're at the end of the world, I will always be with you. 
There is where the accident falls. So and that's Jesus' promise. But in Mark, verse, chapter 16, verse 20, we have a little remark that means a lot in the equation of missions. He says, the Lord was working with them. Chapter 16 is the Great Commission. And again, the disciples are sent out. But then he says, the Lord was working with them. God's work is accomplished through people. Yes, he can use donkeys or stones. But that's the exception, not the rule. Okay? If necessary. But we are God's tools. We are the resources that God is using for missions. So when it comes to that, the uttermost of the world are determined by you. my faith that Christ is alive by recognizing his lordship over my life and by the resources he puts into my hand. I can be only in one place. I cannot be in two places. And sometimes I really feel what Jesus was saying, great is the harvest, but few the workers. So I pray that each one of you tonight might see where are the limits. You don't have to go overseas. Sometimes we didn't reach the limits within Jerusalem. Let's put it this way. <laughs> within our own city. And we need to start here. Let's expand the limits. The uttermost part of the world are not geographical but rather sometimes it's spiritual. Let's get that out of the way. And let, us, let God use us, each of any one of us. The extent of the uttermost part of the world will depend if we really believe Christ is alive, if we really submit ourselves to his lordship and we give our resources, time, abilities, money, etc. We want to use for to witness him to the others. Amen. Thank you. Yes, sir.